0: Welcome to the March episode of Jazz Talk Seattle. My name is Josh. And
1: my name is Max.
0: And our guest for this month is Ryan Burns. Welcome, Ryan. What's up, Ryan? Hey,
2: thanks for having me, you guys.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for being here. And Ryan is a pianist, organist, guitarist, bass player, educator, composer. And as of this last Friday, the brand new minted winner of the 2020 (laughs) Northwest Alternative Jazz Group of the Year. Congratulations, Ryan.
2: Hey, thanks so much. Yeah, We're so, yep. so
0: excited about this record and so excited to have you here. So the first question we have for you is, you play a lot of instruments, uh, all these different keyboards, uh, you play guitar and bass. What was your first instrument?
2: My first instrument was actually the alto saxophone. Oh, no uh, way! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was unexpected. Yeah. And it was uh, totally, I was not drawn to it whatsoever. It, in the fifth grade, they let you Uh, come pick an instrument. And my best friend, we were looking at all the instruments and trying them out. And he's like, I'm going to play the saxophone. And I thought, I want to sit next to my friend in the horn section. So I got a sax and then I showed up the first day and he actually changed his mind and he was a trombone. (laughs) 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 So, (laughs) so I had zero interest in it, but I, I tried and I, you know, any wind instrument to this day, I, other than the slide whistle, I can, uh, the slide I play a mean slide whistle whoa but uh yeah so i did i just did that for that year then i switched to drums but it was just snare drum in the sixth mm. grade and i kind of kept up the band there because they gave you two lunches
1: <laughs> oh yeah so, perks of being a drummer so you know the music
2: <laughs> thing really didn't hit until i took guitar lessons in the seventh grade and cool. um uh, with this guy, Jim Durkee and Yakima at Talcott music. And he's a classical guitar player now, but he taught me how to play, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan licks and all that hmm. stuff, you know? Very cool. And, uh, and then I didn't get to piano until, um, you know, uh, high school, freshman in high school, my aunt, um, uh, aunt Virginia, she gave me, uh, some piano lessons for Christmas my freshman year of high school and it was just kind of a fateful day.
3: Wow. Uh, wow.
2: Yeah, with with Bill Rossi, um up in Greenwood. And he was a theory teacher from Berkeley. Like he taught at Berkeley before he moved out here. So he kind of prepped me for that whole thing, you know, hmm. through the course of my high school years.
1: So did you actually grow up in Yakima?
2: I, well, I was in Yakima just from fifth grade through fifth and sixth grade. That's it. Oh, okay. I, I grew up okay. in um, a small town of Pomeroy, Washington. Whoa. About 2,000 people. Uh, it's the county seat of Garfield County, and it's the only town in Garfield County. <laughs> you learn something really new every small, day. Really small. <laughs> I, I still have lots of relatives over there. but um, Very cool. Uh, yeah. So, so I'm curious
0: i I know you more as a keyboard or, or yeah a keyboard player I, I guess I think of you professionally as a keyboard player even though you play all these other instruments too uh, do you do you feel that way yourself or do you feel uh, more affinity to a different instrument or it doesn't matter you just play what you play
2: Oh it definitely matters yeah I mean, Um, yeah, the, the piano just kind of stuck for me. I had such a good teacher in Bill Rossi. And then, um, I was in the jazz band in high school. I played guitar, uh, my sophomore year. I wasn't in the jazz band in my freshman year, but I played guitar the sophomore year. And they said, well, we need you on bass. So I played bass my junior year and then switched to piano. Finally, my senior year. And when I was looking at scholarships and that sort of thing, you know, uh, for college, there was there's a million guitar players and I wasn't really playing that much bass. So it's kind of between the guitar and the piano Sure, the piano just kind of won out there. <laughs> huh. So it was competition that, <laughs> that um, you know, pushed you towards the piano? Well, I mean, not competition. Well, just kind of. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, money. I mean, how can I? You know, get some college money here. And then, sure. um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I just kind of took to the piano a little bit better too, you know. And then um, during COVID times, I've been taking some bass lessons <laughs> and getting my chops together on the bass a little bit better. But um, nice.
1: This kind of puts things into perspective for me, actually, because <clears throat> you, you kind of play and compose with a really uh, wide spectrum in mind. I feel like, and I, I didn't know that you had experience on this many instruments. That's, that's really cool.
2: Yeah. It's just fun to kind of try different things and, you know, um, yeah. Teaching wise too, you know, uh, when I taught at the Seattle drum school and, um, at the colleges, uh, well the Seattle drum school, I kind of, you know, decided to, why don't I teach guitar and bass too? Sure. So it kind of mixes up your day to kind of change the brain a little bit. Um, Very cool. As far as a teaching gig, also really cool. That's really cool. Definitely.
1: So, I mean, I've heard you play organ as well. Uh, Hammond B3, but also synths and many other keyboards. Um, Josh was actually kind of wondering about this, but you piqued my curiosity too. Uh, So what was the transition like kind of between uh, these keyboards that you play? Not just on this record, but just in general.
2: Um, Yeah. Like being a piano player as opposed to an organ player is very different. Right. Because, you know, organs not touch sensitive. It's all with the volume pedal that you've got. And so, and you can just hold a note out and let it scream, you know. (laughs)
3: Forever.
2: uh, Yeah. (laughs) And affect it, you know, with the Leslie speaker and the draw bars and all of that. And um, I really get into that stuff. Um, you know, I can't do it as well as like a Joe Doria or, um, you know, um, those guys, but I I did take some organ lessons, um, from this guy in San Francisco, Will Blades, he's in LA now.
3: Yeah.
2: I took some zoom lessons from him and tried to get my thing together, but I just don't, you know, I'm kind of a Jack of all trades. I don't have the time to put into with the foot pedal. Um, I can do a little bit, you know, but, but I can play, you know, without the feet. I, I think I'm a pretty solid organ player for different situations.
0: Yeah. It's not an easy <clears throat> instrument to, to switch to speaking as somebody who also plays keys. Uh,
2: yeah. 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 You're uh, mainly a accordion player.
0: I am. Yeah. I started out as a piano player, uh, but these days um, I play both uh, a little bit more accordion than piano these days. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've played some amount of organ as well. And it's, it's just startlingly different. Uh, and which is in a way, I feel like that is really hard to explain to somebody who's not a keyboard player because they look the same keys wise. <laughs> yeah. And uh, a lot of the hand shapes admittedly do work the same. But just the difference in sustain is 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 enough to throw off uh, anything you want to say on the instrument. I feel.
2: Yeah, very much so. And you're if you play a lot of organ and then go back to the piano, your chops can get a little sloppy too because you're use, you're not used to playing with a certain touch, you know.
0: Right, for sure. And so that's something that I wanted to to touch on here is. Uh, so this this new record that we're about to talk about but quite haven't quite yet. I uh, I've hear piano and organ and synths and Rhodes and there's just all manner of different uh keyboard contexts on this record. And I'm curious how do you balance being uh having facility on all of them? Do you do you practice them separately or do you practice just one kind of keyboard and just kind of uh, I don't know, hope that the keyboard skills translate or how do you, yeah, how do you approach this?
2: Well, I've all, I've kind of just been the type to throw myself into the fire and, um, you know, work for in different bands and playing in as, as many situations as possible. And I've always been drawn to analog keyboards, you know, sure. Hmm. You know, I've got a Fender Rhodes, Wurlitzer synthesizers, uh, you know, Moog, um, Nice and uh, yeah, just there's something about it. I've, I, I, I played in a Mahavishnu cover band, <laughs> whoa. Uh, with it started out with Rick Mandike, and instead of a violin player, we had Mark Taylor on saxophone playing the violin parts because I thought, well, he can do anything. That's cool. So, <laughs> and um, John Wicks was the first drummer in that, who's now out in Montana. Um he pl- he plays in Fits in the Tantrums.
1: <laughs> okay.
2: And he was in he was a Bebop and Destruction, the first guy in Bebop and Destruction.
1: Yeah. So actually I was gonna ask about that as well. So you've been around Seattle for a really long time and I've heard stories and I mean as someone who runs a jam session myself and I've you know, I've been to the owl and thistle jam session a bunch of times for many years, but I've heard that you were in bebop and destruction and that was kind of the band that started that session ish. Is that, can you get yeah. some light on that whole thing?
2: Yeah. The session started deep. a man um, who you should really interview is Mark Fendel because he has a really, uh, if you want to talk bebop and destruction could, because he's got a memory um, <laughs> like your, he members, he'll tell you what year and what, who is doing what and <laughs> What okay. they, they started at the Owl, or but yeah, they used to play at a place called the, the Brick Street, and Dan Heck was the guitar player. Um, mm-hmm. it was basically I replaced Dan Heck when he moved to New York, gotcha. and, then, and now he's down in Florida. But, um, uh, yeah, this the Owl and Thistle started with John Wicks on the drums, and then Jose took over when John moved to LA. And, um, you know, I, I love those guys. I love going down to the Brick Street and, you know, Jeff Harper was always going to do something goofy and funny, you know, and you're <laughs> just waiting for him, too. you know, and just <laughs> they were just such a uh, they and they all wrote original stuff, you know. Um, but when I when I took over it pretty, we did a record, but it was just kind of, you know, standards we would do a few originals, but um we didn't do any studio albums, just like a live at the Ellen Thistle. So the band is really uh Dan Heck, but I but I did play with Bebop and Destruction for about eight years. Oh okay. I ran that jam session for eight years <laughs> until cool. uh yeah. Until we kind of fizzled out. I was ready to do something else. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. That's
0: a very long time.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's
1: a big piece of the Seattle jazz scene. So it's it's cool to have some some light on that
0: era. Totally. But, yeah. uh, what years were you uh, with that band and also running the L Session? Oh my goodness!
2: Yeah, that's <laughs> that's where you need Mark Fendel. Years. <laughs> uh, we we won an award. I think it was in two thousand four, Seattle Weekly, uh, best. It was one of the – they didn't call it alternative, something – avant-garde. That's what hmm. it was.
1: Interesting. Um,
2: and that was f- probably two or three years in. So, well – Gotcha. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. I just, <laughs> yeah.
1: Sometime in the past.
0: Well, let's get to talking about uh, some of the new music that you've been working on. Uh, So you just released an album um, in 2020 called "Postponed Parade, which I understand was recorded entirely uh, remotely by passing tracks back and forth through email with other musicians. Is that right?
2: Yeah, almost entirely. Yeah. Um, uh, The last last track was recorded, um, what, Shoreline? We were able to record in a real studio at Jack Straw. We were all in separate rooms, but mm-hmm. um, separate rooms and wearing masks.
0: Wow. Kind
2: of funny, but yeah. But <laughs> at once, a shape
0: playing in person. Yeah,
2: once that happened, I figured the record's done because I want it to be a quarantine album, you know? Sure. And, Makes uh, sense. But yeah, and uh, Max was, I think, the first drummer I sent a track to, and I was just kind of trying to figure out how to use Logic Pro. I'd never...
1: That's right. I remember you, know, you called me one day and asked whoa. a question or something about that.
2: Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, I re-recorded. I I couldn't figure out how to line up tracks, so I just kind of took the drum track and re-recorded my organ part and went from there. Very
1: cool. And nice.
2: Started so, and then started sending them to different who would sound good on this track. It's kind of, it was kind of nice, you know, to think uh, it widens. As opposed to just having a band, just kind of you know Steely Dan kind of style.
1: <laughs> yeah, take the take the whole landscape while you have it.
2: Yeah, and while people are home, like I I couldn't get Scarrick and Jeff Fielder, you know, um, if it weren't right. for the pandemic, because they're normally on the road most of the time. Mm-hmm. So it, it was kind of a unique opportunity there to get guys like that on the recording.
0: So that's something I actually wanted to highlight as well. There's, I we went through the personnel list on this record, and there's, I think three saxophonists, two different or four different guitarists, four bassists, including yourself, two different drummers, and and more. How did you coordinate such a sprawling group of musicians? Because I I also did a um, remotely recorded record uh, this past year, and I had a oh. consistent most of the bands throughout the record. And it was already um, a lot to hold in my head and had spreadsheets mapping out who I needed to talk to. And when, Uh, how did you keep up with this, that many people?
2: Well, I just had the goal of doing a track per month. And so I kind of went month to month. Gotcha.
0: Interesting. And so that's a good idea.
2: And often, you know, I was, you know, I I work best with a deadline. And so just kind of setting that goal helped a lot. And so you know i I would be kind of mixing and mastering one track while I'm recording the next or sending around tracks <laughs> for the next thing, sure, and uh, yeah, I don't know some yeah, it's kind of uh I kind of go back and go, well, how did I do this? This is crazy. <laughs> what was I thinking you know, but um uh. But yeah, I definitely, you know, just kind of thought who would sound good on this track. And if if one person wasn't into it, I'd call someone else, you know. Sure. That well, makes cool. a lot of sense.
0: Yeah.
1: Why don't we take a listen to one of these tracks? Yeah, sure. let's. This one is Up and Up.
0: Here we go. This was a really, really fun tune. I love that it's called "Up and Up" because it sounds like the song keeps going higher and higher and higher. I, I assume that that must be why you named it this.
2: Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, the the chord changes climb up like until you get back to where you started, and so it's kind of this endless circle. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, the up and up uh, in Pomeroy, where I grew up, there's a there's a restaurant bar. Called the Up and Up.
0: Hmm, oh, nice!
2: And I was up in Bellingham one time, and there's another bar called the Up and Up, and I actually played some gigs there. And they, I said, "Hey, have you ever heard of the Pomeroy?" And they said, "Come back in the office. We have this uh, picture of us pilgrimage to Pomeroy, and they all oh, they wow. all went and visited <laughs> the other Up and Up."
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so, really funny.
2: It's one of those kind of small world deals. And um, I couldn't come up with a cover, so each each one of these tracks has their own cover, um, because I released them all as singles on Bandcamp. Whoa. Yeah. And um, so the person that did the cover for Up and Up was Jason Chatfield, who writes, who is a New Yorker cartoonist and yeah. Mad, Mad Magazine.
1: We were going to ask about that as well. Um, how did how did you get him involved in this whole thing?
2: Well, I. I joined this um, Facebook group. Um, I've always liked New Yorker cartoons, you know, and search them out online and just I like laughing at them. (laughs) But I found this group of captioners that do the contest every every week. You know, I think I've seen you post about this. And yeah, so I got in this group and I started kind of getting into it and doing my own captions And a couple months into it, I actually was a finalist in the New Yorker.
0: Oh, no way. Uh, Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. For this caption. And then, um, you know, I just kind of got more and more into it. And then Jason Chatfield was in the group. And so I and he had a he caught COVID.
0: Oh, no. And he
2: he wrote about it in cartoons and it got published in the New Yorker. And it was just so cool. I was just blown away. And I, I just kind of got up the gumption hey, he's in my group, and I'll just send him a PM and ask him if he would be into doing an album cover for me, you know? Whoa. <laughs> wow. And he was, you know, sure. <laughs> and wow. uh, yeah. And we just kind of developed a, a bit of a relationship. And uh, it was really just for the track Postpone Parade. At the time, but it was so good. I said, though, this is going to be the album cover, no matter what happens after this. Yeah, that's really man, cool. That's awesome.
1: So he did the, he did the up and up and the postponed parade, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah, both are really cool looking.
0: They are gorgeous and yeah, really amazing.
2: It was cool. Yeah, all watercolor. <laughs> They're both watercolors, and um, he sent me the original as a Christmas present. Oh,
0: oh wow! No I was,
2: yeah, so I got to get it. I'm going to get it framed.
0: Oh, that's man. really exciting.
2: Yeah,
1: it's so cool. Holy cow!
2: Wow. So
0: I I want to th- that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, but I also <laughs> want to back up and talk about uh, some of the music up. that we just heard too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It up and itself. And so there's a section in here where I think you're trading synthesizer solos with yourself between like the right side and the left side. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's right. I have a, a it's a Moog Opus three and a Juno, uh, one hundred and six. Cool. And, um, yeah, it was really fun to kind of, you know, trade with myself, basically. Right.
0: Uh, how how was that? I, like, for, for me, uh, so much of trading is uh, responding to another person's vocabulary and having a conversation with them. And just, like, having not really attempted to, you know, trade with myself in that way, um, it feels... Uh, like I can still have a conversation, but but I don't have another person's ideas to bounce off of and, and wonder how, what that feels like for you.
2: Yeah. It's just, it was, it's kind of a trip. Cause I just kind of mapped out, okay, I'm going to start eight. I don't remember if it was 12 bars or eight bars. The song's kind of a weird form, but I decided to do trade longer passages and then go into shorter, sure. like four bars until they're both like at the same time at the climax, you know? hmm but um you know a lot of that a lot of the kind of licks and tricks I was kind of a lot from playing in the Mahavishnu kind of stuff, Jan Hammer and um you know uh or yeah. to be honest, uh Rick Mandyke kind of showed me <laughs> huh. this, hey, this is you know he just is he into Mahavishnu stuff? Yeah, he was he played Whoa. guitar in this. Um, I have no idea. Guitar player in this. It was called Being John McLaughlin. But Rick, uh, yeah, Rick was the first. Um, I was just kind of uh infatuated with Rick's tenor playing, and you know,
1: yeah, that's kind to, of what he's known for,
2: yeah. And I, when I was in, in my early 20s, I would just. I call Rick every time I got a gig because he was the best musician I knew <laughs> and he was always down to play with me And yeah. um, but come to find out he can play any instrument um, you know also like he switched from saxophone yeah, to piano. guitar and then he switched while, right? yeah, he, yeah piano too that's when our paths kind of left each other when he switched to piano <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why yeah but yeah yeah, i just i will listen to him play actually he did a few things on a keyboard with the pitch bend wheel and i just immediately got it like oh that's that's how you play a keyboard (laughs) Mm. an analog synth you know very cool in a way cool crazy connections yeah
0: so speaking of trading some more though um it's, it's not just that you traded with yourself, which I uh, can understand how to orchestrate a little uh, better, but there's also trading between different musicians in, in the same band, but done remotely. And how did you, I guess, uh, yeah, orchestrate and, and make this happen when people can't be in the same room reacting to each other live?
2: Yeah, well, like on that up and up, I, I gave Skarrick, uh and Jeff Fielder the option. Do you guys want to trade, you know? But I think they thought it was a little daunting <laughs> mm. to because I could have mapped it out for them, you know, solo, you solo here, you solo there. But sure. uh, also, you know, this this the track's seven minutes long and when you're just doing a backing track, um, you have to think about how many soloists are there and how right. long are they going to be? <laughs> and this yep. was one of my first tracks, so I didn't really think about it. It's too much. Just I wanted to just kind of keep it open and then um Max was brilliant on the drums and he kind of did this thing where it kind of opens up on the ride cymbal mm-hmm. and it made it like there's an obvious soloist change there, you know. I
1: think that was actually stacked cymbals. <clears throat> stacked cymbals? It could have been it might have been the ride. I think I think I put two on top of each other though. Oh, really? Yeah,
2: that's a really cool sound.
1: Thanks. Yeah, no, that was this was actually really hard because I think I don't think there were there might have been one solo. May you might have put one solo together already, but I don't remember. I know there was at least a large part of the song that had nothing other than like the bass part.
2: Yeah, I don't <clears> remember <throat> if you played just with the organ and the organ bass or if yeah, manual. If he, yeah. Man, yeah, I think you were the first one. Other than me to put a track on there and then i redid my track so your track was all it was for a minute
1: oh man (laughs) yeah that was that was kind of hard uh just trying to kind of imagine what would be happening on top of it the whole time yeah so it's kind of forces you to play more consistent patterns i think
0: Definitely yeah. speaking as somebody who's been doing a lot of remote recording this year. Oh yeah. Uh, being, the, <laughs> yeah. being the first or even the second in, in a, a larger group is, is not an easy position to have because you have to imagine yeah. so much of everything else. Um, I've heard of some folks actually uh, doing demos with like MIDI or something for all the parts. And then they subtract one of the MIDI parts and then they'll have um, the, the actual instrumentalist, um, play so they'll get to react to the midi parts is that something that you did at all or was it just everything was layer by layer
2: um yeah i did uh, yeah just kind of layer by layer sure but, but yeah midi um i did all uh i recorded with mostly with my nord i guess mm-hmm. i would have preferred my roads but it's sitting at jeff fielder's house Oh, <laughs> for storage reasons. Same with my organ is at uh, another friend's house. <laughs> so I had, you know, the keyboard versions here. But um, yeah, uh, I, I just prefer real instruments and in analog if possible. As oh, you yeah. To. <clears throat> but yeah, um, as far as the trading goes, like I was I was really tempted to give Scarrick the whole climax, you know, just because it's right in his wheelhouse and it would have been amazing for sure. I just, ah, ah, I've got these keyboards here and it just was so too tempting and it's my record. Ah, I'll just, yeah. yeah. I think it sounded pretty good. But there's another uh, trading incident that was really funny. Uh, Steve Tressler on bacon and eggs. Mm -hmm. um, He, uh, what happened? He, I took the second solo or I I sent him with my solo, I took the second solo, and so you know sometimes if you're playing, you play after somebody, you pick up the last line that they took that they played, and then take that line and throw it back right, at him. Uh huh. Well, I had he was before me, so he but he knew what I was going to play, and so he <laughs> took my first line, and that's how oh, he ended so his solo. <laughs> oh, brilliant. That's so funny. And some reviewer mentioned it in a, in the, in a review, like he thought it was the other way around, of course, because that's, oh, what that's so funny.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so yeah. Steve could see into the future and, uh, yeah, back to you. that. That's great. So, <laughs> Steve. Yeah.
1: Did you conceive of this whole album project, uh, remotely? Like, <clears throat> like once we were into the pandemic or, um, Yeah, yeah, it was definitely,
2: yeah, it was just kind of once we were into it. I mean, before the pandemic, I had, I was playing, um, I had done a a CD with Chon Diop, Mm -hmm. um, and it was, well, solo piano, and then Chon was on a bunch of the tracks, as much as I could get him to play on. Yeah. Uh, And we had started gigging, like little coffee shop kind of things, um, but just starting, and then he went to, visit senegal um and then the pandemic hit and he's still there he just kind of stayed there whoa um yeah so Can't really blame him. yeah and um yeah so i just you know i wanted to learn my recording gear and all of that stuff and just kind of uh, took it from there cool
1: awesome well yeah, and Joan is incredible, man. What a what a player.
2: Yeah, and he's uh, yeah he. He he was also on the Duende Libre that won the uh, album of the year. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Indeed, we had that in common. Yep, the secret weapon, Joan <laughs> you up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I play, but I played with him in Electric Circus, Wayne Horvitz, and that's like a ten-piece group and then also the Barrett Martin group. Um and each of those bands, like he might get a solo every set or once a night or once a set, you know. Yeah. And he would always just give me goosebumps, like man, he'd and he'd bring the house down, you know.
1: Yeah, I've so, done a little bit of, of drumming with him and every oh, time I he- get to play next to him it's just it's like being in a classroom. It's just like amazing it's yeah (laughs) yeah he's a master for sure Nice. Um, yeah yeah, go ahead
0: yeah let's uh check out another tune i was hoping to check out uh the title track for this new record "Postponed parade
2: sounds good all
0: right here we go
1: Postponed Parade. This is a fun one. And I actually, uh, most people don't know this, but I got a chance to actually play this song, even though I wasn't recording uh, this on the actual album. And it is quite a party. Um, so I have to ask before we even get into the music, Is this was this supposed to kind of just be like the, uh, I mean, kind of what comes to mind when you think of the phrase Postpone Parade, like uh, in terms of everything coming to a halt with this pandemic and then yeah, this the,
2: the yeah, this of. track was released um on the fourth of the, the Bandcamp Fridays. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would release it on the Bandcamp Friday, you know. Um, and it was the third of July. Whoa. Nice. And so I had two two fourth of July gigs kind of in the in the wings, in the waiting. Mm-hmm. Um, and they both fizzled out. And so that's kinda of where I came up with the name.
1: Yeah, that was right about the time when we all kind of realized this was not going to be
2: a short thing. Yeah, we're in for the long run here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so, um, yeah. So, and then kind of has a a little bit of a second line, maybe sort of a, Yeah. how would you think of that drum part?
1: Yeah, no, definitely second line inspired. Um, I mean, and the second line in particular kind of brings to mind parties uh, and parades. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, for kind sure. Of like a happy, bombastic kind of vibe. Um, yeah,
2: and you played it on the Nancy Guppy Art Zone show, and then again yep. at the Avenio Winery um, or K- uh Kirkland Performance Center. Yeah, show super fun to play this song on the drums. Cool original drummer Matt Jorgensen, uh, the the person that wrote the first wrote the drum part was actually well, didn't write. Uh, The inspiration was from Brad Gibson because we were on a gig. Oh, cool. And uh, he said, let's do something with this beat. And it wasn't exactly what Matt played or what you played, but it's similar, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's a great drummer, too. uh,
2: So I thought, I want to do a song like with that Brad beat, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh,
0: It sounds like you've had a couple drummers' voices on this one. So who else is on this track?
2: Yeah, so on this track, uh, Brad was unavailable, so I got Matt Jorgensen on drums um, for this, and then Michael Glenn on upright bass, Jason oh, Gessel, awesome electric on guitar. This. Cool. Oh, yeah, he sure does. And also Jason Gessel, electric guitar, and Steve Tressler on tenor saxophone.
0: That's really cool. So speaking of parties, I know the uh, release party for this record was uh, done virtually as... All of our gigs are these days at the Royal Room. So, what's it like playing a release party virtually, where you don't see anybody?
2: Yeah, well, this um, this was actually supposed to be at the Royal Room, um, and Max was supposed to be on the gig, and uh, Michael Glenn, Jeff Fielder, and uh, Steve Tressler. But the and you know, I would like to have a big show and have everybody that played on it, you know, would have been fun, whatever. But, uh but the COVID thing kind of really spiked at that time. And so the Royal room pulled the mm. plug on all their shows. So Jeff Fielder um, offered to do it. I was just going to play solo piano in my basement and Jeff Fielder offered to host it in his basement, just the two of us. I see. And, and so that's where the release party was. And he got out his drum machine and, you know, played some kooky beats and we just kind (laughs) of had a fun time we wore masks but yeah to it is weird just to play um to a camera and just you have to kind of imagine who you're playing for it is pretty Uh, weird
1: i mean doing a lot of things with cameras i mean
2: i think sometimes it helps if you're if you have the advantage of like, you can see the feed on your phone and see people making comments. Yep. Yep. Um, Even
1: if you can just see yourself like as if you're, you know, like on the screen, like it's a mirror or something I've found is better than just looking into it, the void of a camera lens. So how are you keeping up with, um, what, what are you doing now? Uh, this project is
2: over musically um trying to sell the records <laughs> i guess uh, you Yeah, know, uh marketing i I was really inspired by Jason Gessel who's on the record also and they um Sunday and Mr Gessel Kate yeah. Boss and they,
1: We just had them on this podcast as well actually
2: Oh you did yeah Yeah they're they're great but Jason um kind of hit me to you know as artists we're always just kind of thinking as musicians like what do i want to do creatively but you have to put a little bit into promotion he said he went they went from 90 percent playing 10 percent business and promotion to more like uh 50 50 or you Whoa. know hmm. and so i kind of chewed on that a little bit and when covid hit Um, and I wasn't even really teaching that much. I thought, you know, I'm just going to dive into everything that's out there that I find, you know, I joined the musicians union, um, you know, CD baby, what every, all of their partners, what do they have to offer? Just tried different online things and see what sticks and just do what they recommend. And some things are worth it. Some things aren't
1: what if yeah what if you found that works well in terms of promotion these
2: days um well i think social media obviously is kind of the biggest one but Mm -hmm. um i don't know jason said you kind of have to be every day on the social media uh with your band page i don't really do that so much but um i try and let people know you know when i'm playing and what's coming up and um, the Bandcamp really saved a lot of musicians. I think you know,
1: Bandcamp is pretty cool. Probably, yeah. yeah, they've been waiving their fees on Fridays and stuff, and yeah, it's a cool platform to begin with. In my opinion. absolutely, it's one of
0: the few digital music platforms that actually uh, pays musicians fairly yeah, really
1: compared to yeah, other Buy their music on Bandcamp. Absolutely, yeah. end of
2: story. I tried a website called artist PR and, um, they, they offer like they'll write your bio and they'll, um, they'll review your songs. You can do a uh, song by song, you cool. know, if you subscribe to their deal. And so I got a couple reviews and it was kind of cool just for feedback. You know, as I went along, I had, I re- had them review like two or three of my tunes. Okay. And, um, and then you post it on your website. It looks like it's from a magazine or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and that's they nice. also do, yeah, they do press releases. They'll write you a press release, that kind of stuff. Very um, cool. You know.
1: Artist PR. That's what it's Artist called. PR, yeah. So I have another question. Um, so a lot of the songs on this record, including Up and Up, were released as singles, right? But they're also on the record. Yes. Um, So, and uh, this is kind of a strategy that I'm seeing more and more these days. So what, uh, how does that work? What does that look like?
2: For me, I just had the goal of doing a single every month. And that's all I knew going into it was I wanted, I just want to do this to pass the time during COVID. And Mm. once they started compiling and I got such a good response, um, and, you know, people are buying the singles on Bandcamp, I thought. And once I saw the cover idea from uh, Jason Chatfield, I thought, well, this has this is the artworks alone is too good to not put on a record. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I've always had the dream of doing vinyl, you know. And so I've been on other people's records, but I've never done it myself. And um, so I thought, hey. We only live once. We're in a pandemic. <laughs> Now's the time. Even if so I low. lose my shirt, I'm going to make it happen.
1: This is the first vinyl I've been on.
2: Is it? To you, yeah. All oh, right on. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah, so the, it just kind of snowballed.
1: Yeah, and I've heard that streaming services treat singles the same way they treat entire albums. Um which I think is why a lot of people are gravitating towards singles these days too.
2: Yeah. It's, it's sure a lot easier to think single, you know, mm-hmm. to put out, but you know, it's better for worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of like, I really like, um, I liked coming up with what's side a, what's side B, you know, I've never done yeah. that before.
1: <laughs> a the narrative behind an album. And you also had a music video, um, for a song that you briefly mentioned earlier called "Bacon and Eggs." Yes, uh, a pretty, you know, DIY music video, but it's pretty awesome nonetheless, in my opinion. Featured yeah. some coffee and some breakfast. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. It was just, it was just kind of, you know, here's a video about my favorite food.
1: <laughs> yeah, curious, have you gotten any kind of a response to that that you haven't from just? audio recordings
2: um well it, it yeah it just kind of uh, not so much i mean but it, it. i think it just i thought it was just kind of fun to do um, totally i wanted i i kind of wanted to have you and jeff harper steve tressler each make your own bacon and eggs you know and then have it be like I think The we four of us briefly, yeah. But uh, you know, I didn't want to bother you guys, and you were like, "Yeah, I would have done that." <laughs> have done that. I'm pretty sure that was like yeah. the
1: beginning of the pajamas stage of the yeah. thing.
2: So, yeah, I definitely
1: would have made <laughs> videotaped yeah. making breakfast. But hey,
2: we got hey, it's one of those things. Yeah, if I had it to do over again,
1: hey, I mean, <laughs> bacon and eggs round two.
2: I think people would love to see Jeff Harper in his robe cooking oh, breakfast yeah. like smoking a cigarette cooking <laughs> that's, breakfast
1: that's where the youtube views would come in right there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh man
2: well
0: uh thank you so much for for joining us ryan and before before we close here i wanted to ask uh where can our listeners uh check out more of your stuff or if they want to follow uh what's going on with you
2: yeah i guess just ryan burns i'm updating it a little more than I used to. Um, and um, yeah, that's, that's about it. I don't have, I don't have really many gigs to promote or anything like that. Um, doing some studio stuff, but it's all a secret at this point. So Ooh. I'll just leave it at that.
0: All right. Well, that's certainly exciting and enticing. We'll but definitely stay tuned for that. Right <laughs> Absolutely. On. Yeah. Well, thank you again for joining us. And Congrats for all of again.
1: yeah. Congratulations
0: again on the award. And for all of you listeners, you've been listening to Jazz Talk Seattle. Uh, If you like what you're listening to, we come out with an episode per month about. And you can uh, find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, all the usual places you get your uh, podcasts. And if you want to find more news on what's going on and other music that's happening in the Seattle scene, you can follow Jazz Talk Seattle on Facebook. Thank you so much
3: for listening.